I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. We touched on verses uh, 1 and 2 a few weeks ago. We want to read the whole passage and uh, so that you can see the whole connection here, uh, the narrative. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord Yahweh, what will you give me as I go on being childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given me no seed to me, behold, one born in my house is my heir. Behold, the word of Yahweh came to him saying, This one will not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Now look look toward the heavens and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your seed be. Then he believed in Yahweh, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am Yahweh. Behold, you are... <clears throat> I am Yahweh who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O Lord Yahweh, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said... Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought these things to him and split them into parts down the middle and laid each part opposite the other. But he did not split the birds Then the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now it happened that when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Then God said to Abram, Know for certain that your seed will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for four hundred years. I will also judge the nation to whom they are enslaved. And afterwards, they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then Then in the fourth generation, they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet completed. Now it happened that the sun had set and it was very dark and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. And on that day, Yahweh cut a covenant with Abram saying to your seed, I will give this land and from the river to Egypt, the rivers of Egypt to the as far as the great river, the great, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kedmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the 
Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, how precious it is to us. May we hold to it. May we hold to this word for our very lives. We thank you for the guidance that it provides our life. May this passage be a a guidance today. May we apply these things to our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is in this passage we see that God is making a covenant with Abram. Uh, And this is a significant passage. In the whole of Scripture, this is very significant. Even in our New Testament day, uh, we understand the significance. But to the Jews, it was particularly uh, significant. Abram was their forefather. And he is, this is the Abrahamic covenant. And this is the moment. This is the story. This is the event that they would point to. Everything comes down to one person, very narrow, a single heir from this one person, a single bloodline, one specific family, family group, one nation. And out of that one nation comes a Messiah, comes the one word of God. So this is significant. And to the Jews, this this is the deed to the Holy Land. This passage here. It's not a deed that we might think of as a paper deed, just some document. But it's more significant than that. It's also significant because this is a connection between Yahweh. And this is one of the reasons I chose this translation, because they are using the term Yahweh. But it's a connection between Yahweh, the God who created and the nation of Israel. And God told them that I will be your God and you shall be my people. This is that connection. But for us, this is also an example. This is an important passage. Us New Testament saints, we are grafted in to uh, this spiritual lineage. And Abraham is our father as well in the spiritual sense. Not in the sense that we're going to inherit this nation, the the physical sense of Israel and the, the land, but in the spiritual sense of the kingdom. And this is we are part of this kingdom and we're grafted in through the faith of Abram. Now what is a covenant? We don't use that term very much anymore, a covenant. We would be tempted to think it's just a document, a piece of paper uh, we may uh, buy a, a home or a car. We would have the lawyers draw up the, the paperwork and uh, nail down all of the details. And we would just come and sign. You'd have two people come and sign. Maybe have a notary there. And those two people then, once that signed, there would be a, a, a liability before the courts. But this is... Uh, uh, from the mindset, we need to have the, and understand the mindset of the Near Eastern people, the Semitic people, uh, they would not rely on it just a piece of paper. It would have to go generations. This is is much more than just a a contract, just a a piece of paper. A piece of paper can be stolen, it can be torn up, it can be burned. This is an agreement. A a covenant becomes an event. It has to. It has to turn into some significant event 
that people will remember, something that can be recorded for long ages. It must be a story of some kind. Because it's based upon the honor system. It's based upon the honor system. The word of the persons. The word of the people involved. It's based upon their reputation. Their, their name. Their character is at stake here. And that's what's going on. And Solomon, he emphasizes how important a name is. He says a good name is better to be chosen than riches. In the, the, at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, we know that those men were, were seeking a name for themselves. And God tells uh, Abram in chapter 12 of Genesis that he says, Abram, I will make your name great. A name is an important part of a person's character because it reflects their character, their reputation. Now, today, we, we know that you, you can walk away from a job contract. You can walk away from, uh, or you can renege on a, on a purchase. But in the Near Eastern uh, Semitic culture, you would never do that. You would only break a covenant upon the, the pain or, or even death of the person who would break the covenant. It's very, very significant. In fact, the term it is used here is you cut a covenant. A covenant is, is cut. We'll look at the significance of that in, in just a minute. But I want us to, to remember back that a few weeks ago we were talking about the cities of the Jordan Valley. They were rebelling against God, Sodom and Gomorrah. And, uh, and the, the controlling king, the king that was in charge of those cities, he came and he screamed that rebellion that would have been the cities of Babylon in that region and they came and crushed this rebellion and Abraham of course then had to conquer those kings and rescue back his nephew Lot from servitude and it's significant because at that moment Abraham recognized that this was God's work in his life that God gave him the victory in fact Melchizedek the high priest of that day recognized Yahweh God is blessing Abram. And he was acknowledging that these blessings were coming uh, to Abram. And Abram refused the, the riches of other men because it would steal away from God's glory. And he says, God is blessing me. God's hand of blessing is on my life. But what we see in this passage is, or we saw even a couple of weeks ago, these first two verses... God still had, he had blessed Abram, but he still had not blessed Abram with a son, with an heir, or, or any children. And that's significant in this passage. And we see the, uh, the consternation, if you will. The insecurities of Abram's heart. And we also see that God is a comforting God. That God wants to assure Abram's heart. And he does so with a covenant. But we also see, and the significance here, is Abram's faith needs to be stretched. <laughs> it needs to grow. And he needs to get his eyes off of, of what's in front of him. And he needs to walk by faith. He needs to look at God. Now, this passage teaches us that, that same lesson. As New Testament believers, our faith must not only be in uh, just the salvation of the future, that someday, oh, our, our souls will be saved. 
Uh, it, it, it's not just the, the eternal destiny of our lives that we have faith in. We have faith in God on a daily basis. And we need to understand the significance of that. And here's, here's the principle that we need to know. That the, the heart that is rooted in the promises of God can have assurance and affirmation to trust God on a daily basis. And notice that. A heart that's, that's rooted in the promises of God can have assurance and affirmation to, to know God on a daily basis and to trust God on a daily basis. And that translates into just a life of faith. That's, in fact, that's genuine faith, isn't it? It's not just for the future, but it's for the immediate. That's what faith does. We walk by faith and not by sight. And the Christian life is, is a total dependence upon God and the promises of God. Now that raises the question is, what is the value of God's promises? Now think about that. What, what, what has even greater value than the promises of God? Nothing. How valuable is the promise of God? Especially for our faith, who is what is dependent upon God. And this passage is a, is a conversation. We're, we're giving privy to this conversation between Abram and, and God. And we see four stages of this conversation. There's four different stages. And that's the way we'll break this passage down so that we can look at it more closely individually. In the first six verses, we see the first stage here. That Abram's, uh, we, we see Abram's confusion based upon his circumstances. Now think about that. Abram's confusion based upon his circumstances. Let me read that section. After these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision. Now note that it's in a vision. Saying, do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be great. Very great, in fact. He says, after these things. Now, what had Abram just done? He had just conquered these kings. And God is then coming to Abram, acknowledging, hey, I did this for you. You know that I did this for you. Um, now, I'm going to continue to be a shield to you. If these kings retaliate, I'll shield you. I'll be that shield for you. And, and so he's affirming Abram's heart. And it's a wonderful thing. But then Abram uses this opportunity because he had to have a conversation with God, maybe in a long time, this kind of conversation. And so Abram uh, kind of unleashes, if you will, the, the conflict that's in his heart. The, the turmoil that's going on here in Abram's heart comes out. And we would kind of know this today as a prayer, but this is a conversation between Abram and God. And he says this in verse 2. He says, O Lord, Yahweh, what will you give me as I go on being childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Now, in, in that day, what would happen if you didn't have an, an heir, if you didn't have a son... Or, or any kind of children in this way, it would be who was born in your house. It would be a, a servant would would take your your property, your possessions, and he would be your heir. And he goes on to say, and Abraham says, since you've given no seed to me, behold, one born in my house is my heir. It's just tradition. It's just what we we do. This is the way it is, Lord. If you look at the circumstances, and Yahweh says, then the Behold, verse 4, Behold, 
the word of Yahweh came to him saying, this one will not be your heir. You see how specific that is? This is not going to be your, don't, don't confuse this, Abram, but one who comes forth from your own body shall be your heir. That's very specific. And he brought Abram out outside just to assure Abram. He says, now look toward the heavens and the number of the stars if you are able to number them. Of course he can't number them. But he's assuring Abram's heart. And he says, so shall your seed be. It's wonderful. Now, I just think it's, I think it's neat that, that the intensity, the, the frustration, the conflict in Abram's heart is able to, to just be unleashed and, and come out in a prayer, in a communion with God in this special time. And in, even though Abram was conflicted, he was still in obedience to God. And it, and it comes out. In, in this prayer, we see that in his submission to God, he's expressing this confusion of what he sees. Lord, you've promised me these things. We see that in Genesis chapter 12. You've promised to make my name great. You've promised to give me uh, children, but, but yet I don't have any children. You can see the conflict there. And it's confusing. There's doubt and turmoil. He knows the promise of God, but but what he sees is different from what God promises. Folks, that's the basis of faith, isn't it? That's the very essence of faith. Things not seen. And he goes on and does the right thing. And he prays to the Lord. He brings it before the Lord. Look at the conflict here, Lord. How, How do I justify this? How do I think through this? Lord, help me to see things from your perspective. It's a a life of faith. You know what? Our our doubt does not have to rob us from our peace, does it? And I think that's the way Abraham is viewing these things. Because we see at the very last verse, I want you to see this. Verse 6, he says, Then he believed in Yahweh, and and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, this wasn't the first time Abraham believed now, this is a, a continuous action on Abram's part. This is just faith. This is what he did. But his, his heart would well up within him sometimes. Now, that's what happens with us sometimes, isn't it? Because we live in a sinful world. We have a broken body and, our, and there's doubts and conflicts in our own mind, our own thinking. We don't trust God as we should. We know the promises of God and, and yet there's still some anxiety there and, and it causes us angst. And Abraham does the right thing and he comes before God in prayer. God knows the conflict in your heart today. Know that. He knows the conflict. He knows the the struggle in your heart today. That lingering doubt. I like the quote from John MacArthur. He says, we will never become spiritually mature unless we develop endurance. And this is exactly what James says in James chapter 1. Develop endurance. He goes on to say, we can only develop endurance as we, pers- uh, as we persevere in faith through painful experiences. This is a painful experience for Abram. Folks, we need to, we need to remember that. The only way our faith is going to grow is, become, is, is uh, through these kind of conflicts. 
is through these kinds of angst in our own life and through this kind of turmoil that we have. And God wants us to live a life of faith. We don't depend upon our circumstances. What do we depend upon? The very promises of of God. And even though we have conflicts, even even though we we see one thing, we hear the promise of God, we, we have to rely on the promise of God and not even our own sight. And so we come to the Lord in prayer. It forces us, it drives us to prayer. A life of faith will do that. So the conflict of Abraham's heart is to, is just released and he cries out to the Lord. Look at the second stage in verse 7. The second stage is that the, the struggle just even deepens even more. God affirms his commitment to uh, Abraham concerning his son, concerning this son. Verse 7. And he said to him, I am Yahweh who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans and give you this land to possess it. That's a declarative statement. And he said, that's Abram, verse 8. He said, O Lord, how may I know that I will possess it? So that you, so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought these Things to him and split them into parts down the middle. Now, Abraham knows exactly what he's doing. This would have been the custom of the day. This is what you would do. You would cut a covenant. And God chooses these three animals or three large animals and then two uh, uh, birds. And he says, Abraham, cut them. And that's exactly what Abraham does. Cuts them down the middle. He he puts one part over here, the other part over here, and he just lays those out in a row. And the custom would be, you would cut that covenant, and the, the two people, the two men or women that were involved in this covenant, they would walk down the middle of that of those people, not those animals. It's symbolic because that's what would happen to them if they broke the covenant. That's the idea. It's a pretty sobering thing. May these things happen to us. May this happen to us if we break the covenant. And that's what's happening. And Abraham knows this. This It's a common thing in his day. It would be an event to remember. And and, and so he lays these things out and he just waits. Verse 11, he says, The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abraham drove them away. So he, he, he's waiting. This is, this is a, a long time. He, he goes through this and, the, and he's expecting God to do something. He's waiting for God to do something. He just waits on God. The, the birds of prey would come down and try to take the carcasses and he shoes them away. He's just showing a, a time of, of waiting. Now, what do we see here? There's three things. Um, uh, the, the focus is, is really God. He says, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. He is a promise-keeping God. He was the one that claims Abraham's life. He's the one that pulled Abraham out away from his family. Also note that Abraham's name was written down before the foundation of the world. Abraham is a part of God's plan, part of God's bigger plan. He's, Abraham needs to focus on that. 
that should be the focus of Abram's life. That should be the tension. This is a, this is a declarative statement and, and he's getting Abram's attention here. The second part of it, he, he jumps right into making a covenant. And Abraham needed this covenant. He needed this promise, didn't he? The, the insecurities of his own heart just kind of drove him. Lord, Lord, give me something. We're kind of like that, aren't we? The insecurities of your heart, the insecurities of my heart should drive us to the promises of God. That's what is happening here. God goes right to the promise. Okay, Abraham, I'm going to settle your heart. I'm going to calm your little mind here. And I'm going to, I'm going to cut a covenant with you so that your focus will be on that covenant. And that's where your attention should be. And that's what's happening here. It's a matter of focus. God's wanting Abraham's attention here. And his focus must be on these things. It must be on the promise, not the circumstances. And so this is, this is what J.D. would say, jerking a knot in his tail. That's exactly what it's at. Just, just turning him around. You go up to uh, see the, uh, the uh, tomb of the unknown soldier. And, and those, those guys, very methodical, they pace back and forth, same number of steps. And they can pivot from going one direction to the other direction in, in just one move. It's amazing to see. That's what's happening here. God is saying, Abraham, you, you don't focus on that. You focus on this. You look at this. And, and that's the, the shift that is taking place. That's what God wants uh, to see happen in Abraham's life. And God is saying, look at me. Look at this promise. Look at who I am, Abram. Now, again, what's the value of a promise? If you take a, a three-year-old child, and what's the value of a promise from a three-year-old child? Eh, not, not a whole lot. What about the promise of a used car salesman? Or promise of a commercial that you might see on TV? You know, money-back guarantee kind of thing. Or compare that with the promise of a sitting president. Now, who has the most clout? It comes down to two things, two things that we need to keep in mind here. Number one is their ability to pull this off. <laughs> Can they actually do this? And then number two is, will they? And that's a character statement. That's the, that's the condition of their heart. That's their, that's their name. That's their reputation. And God is, is focusing on both. I have the ability and I have the will. I will pull this off. I will make this happen. And this is a real comfort uh, to Abram's heart. Look at, look at God's ability. Look at God's uh, goodness. And he can pull this off. He can do these things. And Abram was looking at the wrong thing. He was looking, his focus was at the wrong place. And we know that God has the power he has the, the time and space, the matter. Everything is under his control. And those are the things that Abraham is supposed to look at. Now, if we apply that to our own heart, let me just remind us of one, one passage here. And that's Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. This is exactly where Paul would go. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is dignified, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is... Uh, commendable, whatever is 
If there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, consider, dwell, think, meditate on these things. Abram was meditating. He was focused. He was thinking about the wrong thing. And God is saying, okay, I'm going to make this covenant with you. And I want you to focus on that. Focus on me. My promises. There's a shift. Folks, I believe that there has to be some... In our own lives, there has to be a hard shift. That we say, I will not look at the circumstances of my life. I'm going to look at, I'm going to look at God. I'm going to look at His Word. I'm going to look at His promises. And I'm going to settle my own heart. And sometimes that's the only way we're going to be able to, to deal with the insecurities of our own heart. Is to look at His power and His character, His ability. And that's what it is, folks, to walk with God. To walk with God. We grow in our faith. Grow in our focus on Him. Number three, the third stage here. <clears throat> the dialogue goes even deeper. Verse 12. And the, the principle is that, that God assures Aram's heart concerning the land. Verse 12. Now it happened that when the sun, has, sun was gone down... Going down, a great sleep fell upon Abram. Now that's significant. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. That would just be, every time you see that in Scripture, you see the presence of God. It just, uh, that, that's what happens when the heart is, is uh, close to God or the presence of God is close. There's always terror and dread. And God said to Abram, know for certain. Know for certain. He is, he is directly dealing with the heart of Abram. Know for certain that your seed will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs. And they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. And this is pretty specific thing. He's laying it out for Abram. Verse 14. But I will, be, I will also judge the nation to whom they, have in, they are enslaved. And afterwards they will... Come out with many possessions. Again, very specific. As for you, you shall go to your your fathers in peace. And you will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return. For the iniquity of the the, uh, Amorites is not yet completed. Now that sounds like a complicated statement. There's three things that I just want to note here. Abram fell asleep. That was intentional, deliberate by God. In fact, it's just exactly what happened to Adam. That God put Adam to sleep. He fell into a deep sleep. That's what happened to Abraham. Why is that significant? Because Abraham didn't do anything uh, with this covenant. It's not dependent upon Abraham at all. What we see here is an unconditional covenant. It's completely dependent upon God. Unidirectional, one direction, that's just God. And it's an unconditional promise of God. It's not based upon Abraham's actions, not based upon his obedience or faith or righteousness. God says, I'm going to do them. This, those other things, those, uh, the obedience, the faith, that was part of the Mosaic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was a one-sided covenant, and that is from God alone. And God says, I will bless you, Abram. I will bless your family. So Abram, he was asleep during this whole time. Now, he saw some things in his vision, but he was asleep. Number two, notice the plan of God. 
God has this this whole thing planned out. He knows the 400 years. He knows the enslavement of Israel. He knows that they're going to be coming out of that land. He knows that they're going to have great possessions. He's going to turn them into this great nation. Then what's the problem? The third thing is the time. This has to be on God's timetable. 400 years, he said. In fact, that those 400 years, what's going to happen during those 400 years is the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet completed. Now think about this. Think about this. Because God, God looks at the big plan. And He's seeing the, the nations, these uh, Canaanite uh, people, the Amorites. And their sin is not yet completed. The wrath of God has not landed upon them because they're building up that wrath every day. They're sinning every day. Eventually, God's going to get to that, but it hasn't been built up. That's a huge concept there. Just notice the big picture. This is God's timetable. Abraham has to fit in with God's timetable. Abraham, he's got his own timetable. He's looking at his own circumstances. And God is saying, no, don't look at that. You you base everything on my promises. Because there's a lot of things that have to happen here, Abraham. I like what John Calvin says. There is no place for faith if we expect God to fulfill immediately what he promises. There's no place for faith. And I have to remind ourselves, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Time. We are on God's timetable, not on our timetable. Now, we get a little anxious just because of the time. And Abram, God is telling Abram, just settle your heart, Abram. Settle your heart. Focus on my character, my ability, my timetable. Folks, I think it's amazing God has his claim on Abram's life. And, and so, therefore, Abram, as a believer, had to fit into God's timetable. We, as believers, are the same way. We fit into God's big picture. God doesn't fit into our big picture. We don't really even add anything to God. We are, are just part of His will, what He is doing. The New Testament says we are bought with a price. We are not our own. We are new creatures. God made us. God has his claim on our life. We surrender our wills to him. That's something that we need to keep in in mind. So God reassures then Abram's heart concerning the land. And then fourthly, the fourth stage of this dialogue is really kind of a summary. You look at verse 17. Now it happened that The sun had set, and it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. Now, instead of two people, it was just one. The the oven, smoking oven, and the, the flaming torch representing God and corresponds with the fear there. That's not a surprise for us. We can we can see the symbolism here that Moses is seeing these things in this in this vision. It's a one-sided covenant. God is the one that's cutting this covenant. It's not two-sided. Abram's asleep. He's just seeing these things happen. This is what God promises. This is God's going to do these things? In fact, what's interesting is God's promising these things on the basis of His own death. This is what's going to happen to me if if I don't. Fulfill this. 
Of course, that's very sobering. This whole passage is building up to this one thing, this one statement here in verse 18. Now, on that day, Yahweh cut a covenant with Abram, saying, here it is, to your seed I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river Euphrates. I'm giving you this land. That's the bill of sales, if you want, uh, if you want to use those terms. And he lists all of the, the Canaanite peoples that were in the, the land at the time. All of these people groups, all of their land is going to be given to you, Abram. comes down to the spoken word of God, the promise of God. How valuable is that? How many times does God have to say the same thing? Only one time. God never reneges on a promise. God's word is always faithful. It is sure. In fact, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, he calls it a more sure word. More sure, in fact, in that context, more sure than even Peter's experience. It's a more sure word. Matthew chapter 5, Christ encourages his believers to, to build on the rock. What was that rock? It was the word of God. It was, it was sure. It was a rock. In Philippians or Ephesians chapter 4, of course, Paul calls, uh, he calls the believers to be stabilized. Why? How? By, by the word of God. It brings stability to our life. So this is a major shift in, in Abraham's thinking. Abraham, get your eyes off the circumstances of your life. Put them on my ability, my power, my moral character, if you will, and focus your attention on what is good, what is pleasing, what is true, and His his word, His promise. And root your heart, Abram, in the promises, in my promises. Look past the circumstances of your life. Look at my timetable. I will fulfill these things. In other words... We must trust God not only with our eternal destiny, but with our daily lives. Now, let's just apply these things to our life. Because we know without faith it is impossible to please God. We are called to a a life of faith. And I have to ask, I have to ask myself this question. What am I doing to, to live a life of faith before God? Am I just coasting? Am I, do, do I want this self-centered ease that I have? Just to, I'll, I'll have uh, eternally, uh, uh, eternal security. And, and right now, I, I don't uh, need any faith. I can just live by sight. That's not the kind of faith that we're called to as, as believers. We are to walk by faith. We're to use our homes for hospitality. That's a step of faith. Oh, Lord, how can I minister to you? We are to use our, our money as an investment. It's a step of faith. Giving to the church. Giving to missions. Use our time to serve other people. Using our skills and abilities to serve other people. Folks, I think so often we're, we live the life of ease rather than the life of faith. We're called to live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We see Abram's example here. We know that there's doubts in Abram's mind, but yet he trusted you. Lord, may we 
have that kind of faith. We, we know we have our own misgivings, our own turmoil in our life. But Lord, help us to be faithful to your word. Help us to focus on your ability. Help us to focus on the promises that you have laid out in Scripture. Your claim on our life. Your timetable. Your ability. Lord, we are so weak. And and that's what causes us to be insecure. Lord, help us to focus on the right thing. Lord, you are a good and wonderful God. We, We thank you for being so powerful, can control every molecule in this universe. There's nothing out of your control. And we thank you. May we live a life of faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.